This is Real Talk from Denver 7 and CPR News. Denver is a bustling city filled with tall buildings and expansive roads, but that comes at the expense of the city's temperature. One of the main things that is a danger coming to Denver and is already an issue is extreme heat. Denver's working to plant thousands of trees to beat the heat. Meanwhile, developers are making innovative climate-conscious building decisions that are also good for their bottom line. Welcome to Real Talk with Denver 7 and CPR News. I'm Colorado Public Radio's Nathan Heffel. And I'm Denver 7's Micah Smith. Each week in a partnership between Denver 7 and CPR, we'll be having a Real Talk about issues impacting underrepresented people across Colorado. This week, a heat island is defined as urbanized areas that experience higher temperatures than outlying areas by the Environmental Protection Agency. Denver is just one of the many cities in America that fall under this category. Take a look at this map from Climate Central. 78,000 people live in an area that feels at least 9 degrees hotter than the actual temperature. Now, one group in Denver is trying to help cool at least a part of the metro. Here's Denver 7's Brandon Richard with more. Trees are something many of us take for granted, but not Brad Patterson. I love trees. Brad is with the City of Denver's Climate Action Sustainability and Resiliency Office. I get to protect people and property in Denver from climate vulnerabilities. Brad says trees help him do that by providing shade that cools neighborhoods and by helping filter or clean the air we breathe. Trees are the answer. In a lot of ways. Trees have a lot of ecosystem benefits. They can protect us in a lot of ways from the climate vulnerabilities. Research shows trees also help reduce stress and improve people's mental health, which could also lead to improvements in their cardiovascular health. But in Denver, there's a tree equity gap. While wealthier neighborhoods are abundant with trees providing plenty of shade, known as tree canopies, many lower-income neighborhoods are not. It's very stark, the difference between the two. A tree equity score from the nonprofit American Forest shows where those neighborhoods are. Many are located along Denver's infamous inverted L corridor. A lot of those neighborhoods fall along the South Platte, along highway corridors. There's lots of um, industrial zones and less trees in those areas. Mayor Mike Johnston's budget calls for planting thousands of trees in those neighborhoods over the next three years. We're looking at 2,100 trees split between North and West Denver. A $5 million federal grant the city was recently awarded will help them plant the trees. And while trees might not seem like a big deal, Brad Patterson knows better. Give some thanks and gratitude for our wonderful trees that really aren't supposed to be in this ecosystem where we are now. We're lucky to have them. In Denver, Brandon Richard, Denver 7. I really like how they pointed out the inverted L. I know that's something that's often discussed, but they told us exactly where it is and the impact that it's having. Trees don't seem like a big deal, but when you think about where that is, highway pollution, um, you know, not enough shade from the trees, of course it creates a heat effect. Right, exactly. But And I'm also thinking of the fact that there's so many trees that are going to be planted, but they're they're saplings. They're small. It's going to take years and years for them to create a canopy over those streets that desperately need it. It is going to take a big team effort. Yeah. Well, Green Latinos, a national nonprofit with a branch here in the Denver metro area, was also awarded the federal grant to plant trees. Yeah, I talked to Ian Tafoya, the state director for Green Latinos, about the Denver metro's history of clearing away trees for new construction. We also talked about his lawsuit against the government that ended up with him winning more trees for local community. Ian, today we're talking about uh, 
heat equity, and quite frankly, we're seeing a lack of tree canopies in underserved communities. What impact does that have? Lack of trees in communities is something we've been raising our voices about for decades. Mm -hmm. And the biggest impacts are higher energy bills, just higher overall temperatures, air quality, less stormwater management, less habitat, and overall mental health has been really tied to having tree canopy as well. You know, one thing that comes to mind is uh, you actually fought to increase the number of trees in a Denver community, Hilaria Swansea in particular. Can you talk about your fight to uh, bring more equity in terms of this space to that neighborhood? We are talking about, yeah, um, a few years ago, we sued the state of Colorado and the Federal Highway Administration over highway expansion in our communities, concerns around air quality and other equity concerns as well. And we know that trees can do multiple things like clean air and push pollution further into the air, distribute it, clean it year round with evergreens. And so part of the I-70 settlement that we reached with the state of Colorado, with the Colorado Latino Forum, was to plant trees in that community. And we've seen that be backfilled with other money from nonprofits in the city to increase tree canopy. And now with the USDA putting out millions and millions of dollars into communities, there's a huge opportunity for communities like Global Area Swansea to get the trees they deserve. Yeah. Why do we see less trees in underserved communities? Well, I think a lot of why you see less trees in communities that are connected is they're often on this urban edge to industrial. And so industrial properties, when they're being designed, they don't have tree canopy. And I think a piece that people don't talk a lot about is the water, because these are living things. You know, you have to plant them and then care for them for years. And so some of the conversation going on in North Denver and in other equity communities across the country are how do we water the trees and care for them after we plant them? There are some cool programs like from the parks people, which have, you know, the urban uh, forestry program where people go out and they learn how to take care of the trees. But take, for example, the parkways and the wealthy neighborhoods where the city itself is actually subsidizing the water. So if you go walk um, by, you know, through Park Hill on one of these green belts, that water and the trees are being cared for by the city. That's not happening when these are being planted on private property. So we've been trying to figure out how do we water the trees and care for the trees and, and for the entire life of the tree, not just plant it. Because if you plant it, you're actually just throwing thousands and thousands of dollars away. There's also some interesting things going on um, with indigenous peoples, uh, in particular Spirit of the Sun. We've gone out and we're actually trying to heal trees that have been planted, but they're suffering. And so we're doing interesting things with planting microbes, um, in particular mushrooms, mycelium, to try to heal the trees because we spend three times as much to plow out the tree, put it in a new tree, then try to heal the tree. And we see this happening under the last administration. We pulled out of the Million Tree Initiative. We clear-cut lots of them for these massive infrastructure projects, just like a 16th Street Mall. They killed 30-year-old trees there. You know, I, as a person who studied horticulture, botany, and, and undergrad, did my undergrad research on increasing yields. When a plant's too big for a pot, you put it in a new pot. For those who hear this interview, see this interview and say, it's just trees. What's the big deal about the trees? Can you kind of break down just why trees are important? <clears throat> Tree canopy does a lot and heat island has huge impacts, like I said. It increases the temperature, which increases your energy bills. It, the trees help clean the air, they help clean the water, they store storm water so they protect you from flood, they provide habitat, they're great for your mental health. And just generally speaking, we're meant to be around living things. Like we are part of the natural world. And so tree canopy is super important. And we need, we have plans for the city because we've recognized this for years. It's time for us to invest and to plant the trees and support them through their lifetimes. How would you like to see a different city support these types of initiatives? 
Well, I think we need to be working with local communities, which we're seeing in GS, like with the money that we put back is right. help them decide where they're going to plant them. But urban forestry programs, I think are critically important to help train people how to take care of the trees. Like I say, how do we figure out to make sure they're watered? And some there's really innovative programs happening too with Denver Urban Gardens where they're planting food forests. So where can you plant trees that you can actually eat the food off of? I think that these are all solutions that trees offer us. And, you know, I, I don't know. You can see I have a tree in my logo for green Latinos. <laughs> we love trees. Absolutely. Food forest. That sounds really interesting. Yeah, the food forest program with Doug is really neat. Is this a new type of approach to this issue? You know, food forests have been discussed for a long time. Going way back to when uh, I worked in the mayor's office almost a decade ago, we were having conversations about how do we document all the fruit trees there are now? And how do we make sure we go get all the fruit off of them and save it? Send it to our schools, send it to our jails, food added products, all these kinds of things. I think food forest is a, is a concept now that I think nonprofits and communities have been asking for, but the funding's finally there. And so there's some really innovative ones being talked about in West Denver, uh, where you're gonna have these kind of open spaces. A lot of times they're along um, power right-of-ways and in these right-of-ways, you can go and glean food for your community, and I think that that's really important. Wow, so the trees can feed you and filter your air. Exactly, and provide you shade. You can just hang out and read a book under there. Thank you, Ian. Yeah. That was Ian Tafoya, State Director for Green Latinos. We've talked a lot about trees, but we know there are other ways to combat extreme heat and global warming in particular. Coming up, a climate change expert walks us through those ways. This is Real Talk with Denver 7 and CPR News. Welcome back to Real Talk with Denver 7 and CPR News. I'm Denver 7's Micah Smith. And I'm Colorado Public Radio's Nathan Heffel. You know, Colorado is known for its snow-capped mountains, perfect for skiing and snowboarding, but as you know, it can also get pretty hot. Sure can. According to the Colorado Water Conservation Board, the state has warmed quite a bit over the past 50 years, and temperatures could rise an additional 5% by 2050. That's a powerful estimate. When you consider the summer and fall we just had, where temperatures were significantly higher than they've been in years. Well, here to talk more about this is someone who I know has a passion for the topic, who can also break down the science behind it all. We have Denver 7's chief meteorologist, Mike Nelson. Mike, thanks for joining us. Nice to be here. Thank you for having me. So we've been experiencing one of the hottest Octobers in history. Why do things seem to be getting hotter? It's getting hotter because the world is getting warmer, and the world is getting warmer from the increase in carbon dioxide, which is a heat-trapping gas in the atmosphere, and that increase is caused by the burning of fossil fuels. Since the beginning of the Industrial Revolution, we had about 280 parts per million of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. It's now up to 420, so we've added a third more. It's the most in at least 800,000 years that's been in the atmosphere. And people may say it seems like it's just a trace gas, but it's a highly effective gas at trapping infrared heat that would otherwise escape into outer space. It's just the energy balance of the planet is changing. The whole planet's getting warmer. And this is human cost. Yes, yes. People will say, how do we know it's not from volcanoes? Right. Uh, we know because we can measure the chemical signature, what's called the isotope of the type of carbon dioxide. Climate scientists are very, uh, very clever at this. And by measuring back with ice cores from Antarctica, we can measure the changes that go back far beyond when we had um, hard information of the thermometers starting in the 1850s. We're way more clever than that. Yeah. Mike, we heard earlier in the show that some areas are hotter simply because 
the lack of trees with CO2 being a contributing factor to climate change. How does the lack of trees in certain parts of the metro affect things? Well, trees do us a big favor in a number of ways. One, uh, they take in carbon dioxide, so they can be a sink for that. It, it, we can lower the carbon dioxide in the atmosphere if we planted enough trees. Unfortunately, we're talking trillions of trees. Um, the other part of it is they provide shade. And without the shade, we get the hot pavement heating up and we get an urban heat island effect. So, yes, plant more trees, great idea but we're losing more trees, unfortunately, globally than we're actually adding. And years ago, we talked about uh, the Green Roof Initiative in Denver. We were supposed to see trees and plants and things on top of roofs. That hasn't happened. If that had happened, would we have seen such a dramatic change just by that alone? Uh, locally, we would have less of an urban heat island effect, but molecules of carbon dioxide uh, know no boundaries. And so that's a global problem that we have yeah. with the entire planet heating up. Now, this past summer was actually uh, kind of cool and rainy in comparison to other ones. We were lucky here in the Denver area and in the region, but globally, it's one of the hottest years on record. And if we don't stop adding this carbon to the atmosphere, by the uh, middle of this century, we could be looking at, instead of our average of three to five days of 100 degrees or hotter in Denver, yeah. it would be 20. So the climate of Denver would be more like that of Amarillo, Texas. And by the end of the century, it'd be more like that of northern Mexico. What can be done to continue to combat climate change? It's never too late to stop making things worse. So the sooner that we can get, become carbon neutral and stop adding additional carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, the better. And, and you know, listeners and viewers know that you can tell us the temperatures, you can tell us, you know, the daily forecast, but you've written a book on this. You are an expert in climate. I have the book right here, and it's a very quick read. It's called The World's Littlest Book on Climate, 10 Facts in 10 Minutes on CO2. And we have a QR code that uh, our viewers can look at to uh, download a free copy. And we'll have that online at CPR.org slash Real Talk yeah. as well. You know, I do want to thank Mike because a lot of our viewers don't know. I'm getting real here. Mike receives a lot of comments that don't believe, people don't believe in climate change. And his role as a meteorologist has kind of changed a lot over the past couple of years with just putting forth the science, following the science. So, Mike, I want to thank you for all that you do with our seven-day forecast, which is, of course, important, but all that you do behind the scenes as well. Mike, I appreciate that very much. And when people ask me, do you believe in climate change? You can believe in the tooth fairy or the Easter bunny. I understand climate change and it's just science. You add heat, it gets warmer. But the key thing is a hopeful message. We can still fix this. Absolutely. Chief Meteorologist Mike Nelson, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. That was Denver 7 Chief Meteorologist Mike Nelson. Coming up, we head to a downtown Denver building that's at the forefront of green construction. Find out how it's providing data to back up its green credentials. This is Real Talk from Denver 7 and CPR News. Welcome back to Real Talk with Denver 7 and CPR News. I'm Colorado Public Radio's Nathan Heffel. This week, we've been talking all about the changing climate, from the lack of trees causing heat domes across lower-income parts of Denver to why we're seeing these seismic shifts in our climate. But what role do developers play in all of this? To find out, I went to the Alliance Center in downtown Denver. Joining me is Patty Mason. She's a climate action specialist at DLR Group based here in Denver. Patty, thanks for being here. 
Thanks, Nathan. So the Alliance Center, where we are at, uh, is in a building that was originally built in the early 1900s, but it was completely renovated and, and recently uh, updated. Um, what makes this building so important for those interested in green building techniques? Yeah, so the Alliance Center is a well-known uh, building in our community that has been very open and generous with sharing their knowledge and experience as a building owner, as well as an operator and involved in you know, a multi-tenanted office building. It's also because, as you mentioned, it's a historical building, right? And so they have the challenge of working within that historical context and at the same time, applying modern um, efficiency strategies, as well as tenant amenities and, and new services that are um, being requested of you know, the, the tenants that want to have a space like this. I'm thinking yeah. of T3 Rhino, which is which yeah. is built with uh, massive timber as opposed yeah. to steel. Uh, One River North, which is going to have a giant garden of like flowing, you know, green uh, space down the middle of it. Uh, there's a hotel that's being built near um, the city and county building that is going to offset their carbon footprint. These are things that are taking place in Denver right now. How does that fit into all of this and, and, and how uh, the city is, is slowly becoming the space for uh, environmental building? Climate strategy is, you know, definitely incorporates elements of green building and sustainability. But what we do and, and how I support the clients at DLR Group is by looking at both current building codes and practices and strategies, but also talking about future climate threat. And so when you think about some of the, the buildings that we have um, being built right now, um, they really need to be thinking about the future and looking across, you know, um, potential heat threat and, and flooding and extreme events. And so there's things that architects and engineers can do to help prepare those assets for that likely future event uh, that we already see happening right now. I'm thinking the the insane heat we saw earlier yeah. this year, the fires in Maui, exactly. the hurricanes that were coming up yeah. the, you know, the, the East Coast. Yeah. So it no longer seems like this is kind of a want. It's almost like kind of we're getting towards that need. This needs to be something you're thinking about because the climate is changing. We're you know yeah. we, we we that's what we've been talking about this entire episode is how the climate is changing. Yeah. And and we are trying to find solutions to that. Yeah. Yeah. And fortunately, I, the technology is there. You know, this isn't, in, in my opinion, a technology gap. We have the technology available as an industry right now. It is about having those conversations with developers and building owners and, and with even our, our own businesses and our, our tenants about, you know, talking about the things that they want and how we create more resilient spaces together um, is super important. I think the other example that we all experienced, you mentioned wildfires, you know, the outside air has a direct correlation to the inside air, right? And so there's things that we can be doing with our mechanical systems and with indoor air quality monitoring to help make changes as the different events are happening. So during COVID, they wanted us to flush our buildings, get you know, right. more outside air into the building to kind of keep that air fresh for, for the occupants of buildings. And then we have wildfires and kind of the opposite happens, right? So now we're actually, hold on, we don't want to bring too much of that polluted air into our spaces. So we, so we start to change and, and fine tune kind of how these systems work together, how you can use your technology to help equip the building for some of those you know, uncertain futures and, and kind of the constant swing of temperature even in our, in our state the and city. The of climate change is yeah, what we're talking about. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Patty, thanks for being here, I appreciate it.
Thank you for having me. Hi, I'm Mary Globin. I'm the facility manager at the Alliance Center located in downtown Denver. I oversee all the operations, preventative maintenance, everything from HVAC to plumbing to tenancy here at the building. And what you do seems to be so important because this building is is LEED certified. It is meant to showcase what green building is all about. And you are getting your hands into it each and every day. Can you talk a little bit about some of the stuff that this building showcases in terms of the green building techniques and things like that? So we have a couple different projects that we're working on. We have an indoor air quality monitoring um, deployment of devices that we use to communicate healthy indoor air quality to our tenants, as well as adjust how we maintain our HVAC. Um, So this means on those really smoky wildfire days, we may adjust how much air we're pulling in from the outside and what we're circulating in the inside. So all of our water fixtures are either low flow or water sense fixtures. Um, Our urinals don't use any water at all. Um, I, as a facility manager, monitor water use a lot. So I'm able to see where we can cut down um, and what's using a lot of water. <laughs> and you can pinpoint that. Yeah. I can, like, hey, this is, this one's kind of leaky or something like that. Maybe. Absolutely. Or, yeah. I can prevent problems before they get bigger. So a lot of the stuff that the Alliance Center is doing, um, is stuff that you, you, you have your hands on. Mm-hmm. Um, what is it like to, to basically have your finger on the pulse of such a green building? Oof. That is a very large question. So we kind of have our hand in every bucket of the aspect of sustainability. From a facility manager point of view, I'm in the day-to-day operations, you know, maintaining our renewable energy systems, making sure that things are up to par for what our tenants expect, but we also are a nonprofit. So we do a lot of collaboration. We do a lot of policy making. We do a lot of just educational outreach. which is, it's gotta be a holistic approach if we're gonna combat climate change. And that's this week's episode of Real Talk with Denver 7 and CPR News. Every week we'll be having a Real Talk on issues that impact Coloradans who are often overlooked. You can find all of our shows on denver7.com slash realtalk or at cpr.org slash realtalk. Have a great day.